Thank you very much, uh, James. And I want to uh, join James in his prayer for our congregation, uh, congregations, as we explore the possibility of uh, being united. It's a huge decision and uh, one we want everybody to take very much to heart. And I'm praying right along with James and uh, the elders and deacons uh, at Metrocrest and at Christ Church Carrollton as we seek the Lord's guidance. Um, I want to uh, underscore what Troy said. Uh, the proposal to unite will be available after the service. Uh, please do take it home, take a look at it, read it, pray about it. And uh, let me add my name to the list of those you can ask questions uh, from either congregation. If you'd like to know um, anything that I can help shed some light on, do not hesitate to reach out in person, uh, via email, on Realm, uh, Facebook. I am eager to talk to you and answer any question that I can answer, so please feel free to do that. Uh, today is Epiphany Sunday, the first Sunday of Epiphany. Uh, the day of Epiphany was a few days ago, the 12th day of Christmas, by some reckonings, uh, January 6th, and today is the first Sunday after Epiphany. Uh, traditionally, Epiphany is a season of the church year. Right after we celebrate the birth of Jesus, we celebrate the coming of the gospel to the nations. That's what Epiphany is about, manifestation, the manifestation of the gospel to the nations, including the Gentiles, of which many of us are a part. Um, it is centered around, thematically, the wise men that we read about in the Gospel of Matthew who come and make their way to worship at the crib of uh, the baby Jesus. And they were the very first Gentiles, who you know anything about, who... Uh, specifically responded to who Jesus was and is. They were the ones who came and bowed before him and worshipped him as the beginning of this outpouring of the gospel, uh, the power of the Spirit through the gospel to all the nations of the world, not just Israel, God's covenant people, but all the world. And so it's a, it's a wonderful opportunity to think about uh, the, the gospel, the mission of uh, God's people to take this message of love and hope to the entire world. And one of the theme verses for Epiphany comes from Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1 to 3, which I'd like to read for just a second before I read the assigned passage that we're going to look at in more detail. But this is Isaiah chapter 60, verses 1, 2, and 3. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will appear over you. Nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your dawn. Epiphany is the season of light, the season when the light of God has burst forth in Christ and now shines on the nations through you and me. Let me invite you to stand for the reading of the passage we're going to look at this morning. This is Philippians chapter 2, verses 14 to 16. You'll find it in the Pew Bible, and you also have it in the bulletin insert. Paul writes to this church he loved very much in Philippians chapter 2. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God, without blemish, 
in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights to the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Let's pray for just a moment. Sovereign God, we pray you'd send your Holy Spirit powerfully upon us, that you would put away from us all the distractions that would keep us from hearing your voice. We pray, Father, that you would allow that same spirit that moved in Paul to write these words, that that same spirit would move in us to hear these words, to believe these words, obey them, Father, and rejoice in them for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. You probably know the uh, little children's chorus that uh, many of us were taught when we were young called uh, This Little Light of Mine. I did confirm out in the lobby uh, by talking to uh, Aidan McAnally and Grayson uh, Scott to confirm that young people in our combined churches know this song. Neither of them are willing to sing it, and I'm certainly not going to sing it. But we know it. This is how it goes. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine. All around the neighborhood, I'm going to let it shine. All around the neighborhood, I'm going to let it shine. All around the neighborhood, I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine all the time. Let it shine. You know, sometimes children's songs uh, bring with them a very important gospel message, something that children can grasp and sing about, and something that, as adults, we aim to live out. And uh, it turns out it's, it's a lot harder sometimes than singing a chorus. Um, it, it sometimes involves great effort. Um, if you look at the passage that uh, I read a moment ago, and in fact, if you look just up the page, In uh, the earlier part of uh, Philippians chapter 2, you'll see how Paul describes what it is to live out a life of letting the the light of Jesus shine through us. turns out he uses some pretty dramatic and powerful words to describe what that life is like. He, He talks about striving and working, doing it with fear and trembling, um, He calls it uh, working out our salvation, Uh, not in the sense of earning something as we saw last week, but in the sense of showing gratitude and obeying in praise and gratitude to God for all that he's done for us, and then to let that light shine through us. Uh, In the passage that I read, there's there's one declarative sentence. There There are a lot of exhortations, there are a lot of calls to obedience But there's one simple, very important declaration. Paul simply says in uh, verse 15 uh, that we shine as lights in the world. He doesn't say, I hope you will do this, or fingers crossed, this is your goal. He actually says that as God's people, his covenant people, we are actually those uh, in this crooked and twisted generation who shine as lights in the world. Uh, it's, it's like Jesus' light, the, the light promised in Isaiah chapter 60, 
the light which we see in Christ, that same light now shines through us to the whole world. And it's something that is true, and at the same time, it is something we seek to live out. We, we seek to live out what is true about us, that we're called to be, and we are, in fact, God's lights in the world. I'm conscious that there are kids who stay in our service. I, I, I love that. There are children sitting here uh, who learn not only choruses, but you're learning the Bible right along mom and dad. And that is a beautiful thing. It is a wonderful thing to see families worshiping the Lord side by side, Bibles open, uh, listening to uh, the word as it's preached. And uh, I had a great conversation last night over dinner with a woman who has raised her kids here. And she describes over the years driving home after church with her kids at various ages, talking about the sermon and talking about the Bible lesson and listening to her daughters as they described what they had taken away. Well, let me, let me get you kids to teach your parents this on the drive home this afternoon, after church. The message of this passage, first of all, is that you and they and we are lights in the world. We are lights in the world. You may be very young. You are a light in the world. You may be not so young like me. You, brothers and sisters, you are a light in the world. Christ's light shining through you. Paul gives us uh, a lot in this short passage about that idea, and I want to bring three points as we consider what Paul has to say. First point, what we do. Second point, how we do it. Third point, for what purpose. First of all, what we do. Well, to understand what Paul says about being lights in the world, we need to back up at least to verse 12, where Paul talks about obedience. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Uh, Paul is teaching us that we are lights in the world through our obedience, through our listening to what God tells us to do, and our obeying him. So what do we do? We learn to obey. We do it better or worse, but we are called to obey, and it is through the witness of our lives, what we say, what we do, that God's Light shines through us. And I'm praying this epiphany, you and I, all of us, all ages, will grow in understanding that our life is the proclamation of the gospel. Uh, the, the words we use and the things we do are a manifestation to the world, to the nations of the gospel. That is what we are called to do. We obey. And it's by obeying that you and I live out this reality of shining as lights in the world. But Paul's very specific in verse 16. He, he makes it plain that we, we are this by, verse 16, holding fast to the word of life. In other words, it's not being a nice person. It's certainly not being a politically correct person. It's by holding fast to the word of life. Uh, 
that you and I live out this reality. It's not by simply having a little idea of being a nice person in tough times. It's by living out what we are taught and the truth of the word of life. God's word brings us life. Paul understands that, proclaims that from start to finish. And the way you and I will live it out is by holding fast to his word. That's what we do. Hold fast to God's sovereign word. I've already said already in 2021 that I'm hoping this will be a year of of deepening Bible uh, love and ministry and mission at Metrocrest. I know full well of the long, decades-long heritage of Bible ministry at Metrocrest PCA. I know it's been important to Christ Church Carrollton. My hope will be that in this new year, it will go to new levels among us. Uh, Part of our conversation last night was about the importance of God's word, the word of life among us. It's not simply religious window dressing. All too often in churches, the Bible is sort of pulled out as religious window dressing, inspiring words, slightly poetical, that we get uh, out and roll out in the middle of the service to, to kind of inspire us in some vague way. The Bible can be used that way. That's not what I'm talking about, and that's certainly not what Paul is talking about. He's talking about words of life with urgency and importance, with a central role to play, not merely in our liturgies, but in our lives. That is how we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. It is by heeding God's word and seeking humbly to obey him, to respond to him with gratitude and praise, not to earn something, but because he has given us already so much. That's the word of life that we want to hold fast to. That's what we are called to do, and in Christ, that is what we are. What we do is what we are. We are people of the word. We are the light in the world. How do we do that? Well, interestingly, Paul has quite a bit to say about that as well. Of course, verses 12 to 13, he he talks about the life of obedience. He talks about what it is to work this out. In our lives, he talks about the same thing uh, earlier in chapter 2. He actually ties it to the idea of the incarnation, that what we see Jesus do in the incarnation, setting aside his privileges, setting aside what he uh, had every right to hold on to, he voluntarily sets that aside. He, uh, Paul says, emptied himself. He set aside those things which were his prerogative voluntarily. Emptying himself, being found, it says, in the likeness of men. Not merely appearing to be a man, but actually having the nature, the likeness of a man, a human being. The spirit of epiphany flows from that, this realization that God in Christ has entered this fallen, messed up world. Voluntarily, he's taken it upon himself. And now we live our lives in response to that. How do we do it? Well, again, Paul has a lot to say. Verse 14. Now, this this is pretty broad. He says, do all things. (laughs) That's pretty broad. Do all things. You can look at different translations. They all emphasize that same broadness. 
What Paul has to say has to do with every single thing we do. Not a portion of it, but everything we do, he says we're supposed to do it this way. Without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Uh, Let's think about that last phrase for just a moment. A a crooked and twisted generation. Uh, I don't know if you were paying as close attention as I was to the news this week, but if there was a dictionary of English phrases and it was a picture dictionary and you looked up the phrase crooked and twisted generation, it might very well have a video clip from Washington, D.C. just a couple of days ago. I mean, I, I can't think of a more vivid example of a crooked and twisted generation than our generation. The violence, the ugliness, the meanness on all sides, just the ugliness and meanness. Those people who, who stormed the capital of the United States, the symbol of our unity, with so much anger and vitriol and, and, and rampaged, ransacked offices of members of Congress. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's an ugly picture. It's an ugly picture, and I I am in my mind rehearsing some of the images I saw from what happened in Washington. This this isn't a political uh, commentary, it's it's a reflection on on where we are. How did we get here? Well, I can tell you how we got here, and it's not about political parties. It's certainly not about an individual politician. We got here because we let go of the word of life. We quit, we quit heeding and obeying and responding to the word of life. In just a couple of Sundays, we're going to have uh, Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, and uh, EJ and Teresa Boot have lined up a speaker to come and share some time with us to talk about the sanctity of human life and the sad reality of the place of abortion in the United States of America 2021. If you want to see a picture of a crooked and a twisted generation, consider what we've done with life and babies. What a hideous picture of what we have become, what our generation has become. So Paul says in the midst of that kind of thing, We are to be lights. Lights. What does light do? Light gives opportunity to see. You can't see in the darkness. Well, Paul talks about darkness. He talks about light in the world. Isaiah talked about the reality of darkness. Isaiah chapter 60, verse 2, darkness. That's that's our crooked and twisted generation. And we're to be bright lights, he says, without grumbling or disputing. He's actually had a lot to say about grumbling and disputing and the interaction between human beings, which can so often degenerate into yelling and putting one another down and looking down on one another and disputing uh, in, a, in a very ungodly unchristian way well Paul says we're to be lights by 
in everything we do, doing it without grumbling. You know, any Jew, when they hear the word grumbling, they're, they're going to picture in the Old Testament the murmuring of Israel, the grumbling of Israel, the, the arguing, the ceaseless arguing in Israel. But we're not to have lives that are characterized by that kind of behavior, that kind of language. Instead, Paul says, we're to be blameless and innocent. Not blameless and innocent in the sense that we never do anything wrong. Believe me, you don't have to walk with Christ very long, do you? Before you realize you're still making mistakes. We still say and do things we shouldn't say and do. No, the blamelessness and the innocence that he's talking about comes specifically from the relationship we have with God through Christ. The one who emptied himself did that to bring us life with his Father through him by the power of his indwelling spirit, leading us, making us more like him. The the blamelessness, the innocence that we want to show forth is the blamelessness and innocence of Jesus. His words of hope, his words of life. All we bring is humility and brokenness. We come into his presence acknowledging who we are. We do it every Lord's Day. Whenever we gather here, in fact, I think generally as a rule, whenever we pray, we should always do so, consciously aware of how full of blame we actually are, how guilty we actually are. We want to come humbly into the presence of the Lord. I love the way Troy uh, invited us to worship. He said, let's come with due reverence and rejoicing. Let's come with humility and rejoicing. We can do that through Christ. We come humbly acknowledging our brokenness, our neediness. And we come rejoicing, praising God for what He's done for us in Christ. It's not a tension always easy to maintain, but, it, but we're called to have both of those attitudes in our hearts. Humility and rejoicing. Paul says that's how we live out this reality of being lights in the world. It's by obeying without grumbling, disputing, showing what it is to be a child of God, the beneficiary of mercy in a messed up world. Then he goes on to say a little bit more about it. He says, we're to hold fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. See, Paul understood his ministry as an apostle as being something the church in Philippi shared with him. Uh, He didn't want his ministry to be in vain because they didn't live out their ministry. I think he'd say the same thing to Metrochrist. We want to live out the apostolic ministry of proclaiming to the world the good news of Jesus. That's the light that's come to the Gentiles. It's seen in us. It's, it shines through us. But it's inviting the whole world. No, it's not inviting. It's commanding the world to come to Christ. To know life and blessing in Him. The very word we proclaim is life. Paul didn't want his life to be in vain because the church in Philippi wasn't fulfilling their call. Well, let's 
let's do what we can as a church to live out that life here among us as we think about joining. I think the great question to ask as we discuss this and pray about it is not what do I want, what's best for me. Um, This is the question, what's best for the gospel? What's best for the light of Christ? And however you answer that question, we'll tell you what you should do about our churches thinking about uniting. And I, I won't answer it for you. You may, have a, you, you may have an internal calculus that you work that out in a variety of ways. But that's the question, isn't it? What, what is the best for the gospel of Jesus? And that's what we want to do. I know that's what we all want to do. I encourage you to have that in your mind as you think through all the questions, all the very real issues about something as complicated as two churches deciding that they're sort of like Jesus did, setting aside some of their own prerogatives to think about coming together. That does not answer the question simply because I say it. You you think about it, you pray about it, and you decide what is best for the gospel. And, And that's all you can do is discern what you believe is best for the gospel. And then that's what you should do. Absolutely. That's what you should do. That's what I should do and all of us should do. What is best for the gospel? What is best for the light of Christ that shines through us? Finally, what is the purpose of all this? Well, uh, Paul has hinted at it again and again and again. It has to do with this day of Christ. Uh, He mentions it at the very beginning of the letter. You may remember he talks about the day of Christ in chapter 1, verse 6. The day of Christ, the day of Christ. He mentions it again and again as he talks about pressing towards the goal of God in Christ Jesus. Uh, he, He refers again and again to this idea of the day of Christ. That's driving Paul, the day of Christ. What is the purpose of being a light in the world? The purpose is the day of Christ. Brothers and sisters, we live in the last days. Now, does that mean Jesus is coming back this afternoon? I don't know. I do not know. But it's possible. We live in the last days. So did Paul. The time after Christ came into the world has now inaugurated the last days. So everything we do, everything we say right now has at its ultimate view the day of Christ. We live today in light of the day of Christ. Jesus is returning one day. And that does not mean we go and build a shelter and uh, get guns and build barbed wire fences and, and hide behind it. It means that we engage the world. We, we go out with an urgency. We're preparing for the day of Christ. That should stir all of our hearts. Of course there's no place for grumbling or disputing. This is the day of Christ. This is the day that we're called to prepare for his glorious return. When he will come, not as a baby in a manger, but as the king and the judge of the world. And so Paul saw himself as living in the last days. 
He saw himself with an urgent message. Now, it turns out it was 2,000 years ago, but guess what? It's still urgent. It is still urgent because Jesus is drawing nearer every day. And I don't know about you exactly, but I know about me. I want my life to be lived in conscious awareness that this is the day of Christ and we're looking towards the consummation of all things. And I want to live like that. I want our church to always consciously live like that. One of the big sections in the uh, proposal to Unite is mission. Mission. Uh, David um, and James and I uh, worked on that section together. And I encourage you to read it uh, closely when you get it this afternoon. Think about mission. Mission is at the center of what we're talking about. It's not sort of off to the side an extracurricular activity of the church, right? Missions at the heart of the church because this is the day of Jesus. Proclaiming the gospel is our life together. Worship, discipleship, all of that is around the idea that we're a people with a mission given to us by Christ. Paul understood that. It's important for us to understand it too. All right, let me wrap up quickly. This little light of mine, there's, there's, a, there's glorious truth in that simple children's chorus. We, we each have the opportunity. We're small and insignificant in ourselves, but we have a little light. It's the light we share. We have a little light. We want to let it shine all around the neighborhood, all around the world. Lifting up the light of Christ so that people can see and hear and respond to the word of life. It doesn't matter what they think very much about us. It matters for eternity what they think about Jesus.